what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This episode of Creating Wellness Podcast is sponsored by Incredible Edibles in Hickory, North Carolina. Incredible Edibles is the best place to visit to get great tasting food and drinks that benefit your overall wellness. Incredible Edibles offers frozen yogurt, smoothies, and kombucha on tap with a broad array of healthy benefits and snacks and the best CBD products from around the country. Come visit us at our brick and mortar location in the beautiful Holler Mill, where we have COVID-friendly personal life service that includes safe in-store shopping, curbside pickup, and limited distance same-day delivery. Or you can visit us online at IncredibleEdibles.com for online shopping, interesting blog posts, and more information about Incredible Edibles. Welcome to the Creating Wellness Podcast. Um, I'm really excited to be here with you guys today. First, I'm going to kind of talk about general wellness. Um, Oftentimes when we talk about wellness, we think about what we eat, what we don't eat, how much we exercise. Um, But included in wellness, I think, is taking care of our mental health. Um, And that means kind of accepting who we are, the good and the bad, kind of working towards um, a consolidated version of who we are, um, and also finding some sort of creative outlet, which is definitely hard for me to do. I feel like I'm not a very creative person, um, and so it's always feels very scary for me to do to try anything creative, but I know it's important, and I always feel better when I do it. I'm kind of excited and proud of myself like a little kid. Um, so... Yeah, that that's th- those kinds of things are what I wanted to focus on today. I think a broader picture of wellness than just eating and and exercise. Um, so I'm really excited to introduce the two women who I have sitting with me at the table here: Kathy Godfrey and Ray Jenkins. Um, and these women are mother daughter duo, um, and they come here. Um, to talk with you with a determination, a vision, and a wealth of knowledge and a very specific goal. And that goal is to give people the opportunity opportunity to tell their stories. Um, and they're going to do it in a fabulous way that I'm really excited about. Um, so it sounds simple, but it's actually very, very powerful. So um, I'm, you know, we're going to dive in. Um, and just to just kind of on a personal note, this is really exciting for me. And then we spoke before, um, I think you could tell like how, <laughs> how into all of this I was. Um, one, because it comes at a time when I'm kind of personally on a personal level struggling to make sense of my story and kind of who I am, where I, you know, where I came from and where I'm going and kind of figuring all that all out. Um, but also as an ex-therapist and, you know, really knowing the power of owning our own story and what, and, and self-talk, you know, what we say to ourselves about ourselves, both good and bad. Um, and so those two things kind of come together for me. And um, when I think about what you guys are creating, um, I think it is going to be a huge benefit to a lot of people. So welcome. I really appreciate you coming in to talk with me today and to share with whoever's listening what your vision is and what your goal is and what you're um, bringing to this little town. Um, So Kathy and Ray, welcome. 
Thank, Thank you. you so much. We're excited. Um, so you, your, your, well, actually, I'm just going to tell let you talk about what your vision is um, and what you guys are planning to do. So I don't know whoever wants to start. Well, I, I want to say, first of all, that the, this particular idea was, um, was Ray, my daughter's idea. We had had a couple of other ideas before that because we wanted, we knew that we wanted to work together. We wanted to do some, we wanted to start our own thing and we didn't really know what that meant. Um, so we've been through a couple of iterations of that. And finally, just a few months ago, I guess, um, I was thinking about why I didn't feel excited about those earlier ideas, like I, I was excited about them, but it didn't feel like the thing. And so I said to her one night, I think I know what the problem is. I think that what we do together should be supportive of what you want to do on your own. And um, it's really important to me that she gets to, um, that she gets to have as her personal vision also be her professional business vision mm-hmm. so that her attention is not fractured and, um, She's an amazing writer and has made sense of her life as I have through writing. And so I thought this needs to be about you. And then maybe two hours after we left each other that night, she texted me and said, I think I know what what we can do. And it was basically this idea that she also named, which is Native South. So I'll let her tell you about her vision then. So we were working on a greeting card business that was – kind of a mixture of some really interesting hand drawings that I did um, paired with uh, my mom's really unique talent of redefining words that we've been um, using our entire lives. Um, So that was, it was fun. We had a lot of fun with that. But when it came down to it, as she said, it it wasn't really using writing as much as I wanted it to, um, which is what I'm in school for. Um, Almost done with the bachelor's in creative writing. So um, we wanted a space for people to come and be able to work through their stories, talk through their stories with other writers, other people, because anybody can be a writer um, if you have a story to tell. So we really wanted to have something in this area that opened that up for anybody that needed an outlet um, other than maybe the local colleges and their writing programs. Right. So um, can you just kind of define what it will look like? Well, in my head right now, it's kind of looking like just a cozy, oversized living room um, with lots of places for people to be, exist, um, including some private spaces that people will be able to rent out um, if they need time away from their lives Mm -hmm. to write in a silent space. But um, my vision overall is just a place where people can walk in and instantly feel comfortable and at home um, where they are so that there are no distractions from the story they're trying to get out on the page. So this will be people who anybody can walk in and just have a seat and and write. Um, And will there be support for, you know, if say I come in and I get stuck or I, you know, can't think of a word or wanted to read something, you know, have somebody read what I've written or just, that, you're going to have that, that kind of support there? Absolutely. Um, with both of us having writing expertise um, and very different styles of writing, I think, mm-hmm. we, um, we have something to offer to anybody that has questions or concerns or maybe they just need that little extra push off the diving board to really feel what they're writing because that's the hard part. You can write words on a page, but it's not necessarily going to come out in a therapeutic fashion if you're not putting your entire self into it. 
Right. So what do you what do you mean by therapeutic fashion? So a couple of semesters ago, I was taking a creative nonfiction uh, workshop and it <laughs> it pushed me to do a lot of work within myself that I hadn't done before because I wanted to tell a story that wasn't ho-hum, mm-hmm. something that everyone could relate to on some level, but also that was very personal for me. Um, that story came out um, about my relationship with my father, which was troubled. <laughs> but uh, it took me really several years to get to a place where I could put that out on the page um, in a way that felt authentic and and that helped me work through what had happened between us. So the page was that. And lucky for me, I had a really great instructor and really great class. We were all very supportive. And that was the feeling that I wanted to put into this business. So someone could come in, tell their story, get all of those emotions out that they had been maybe holding in right? in relation to that story. Okay. So it's not just about, I mean, your goal, your goal is to make it a place where, a, a safe place, right? Where people can really process some of these difficult feelings, memories, you know, and, and use, use that um, to create a, a written piece. Absolutely. That's, yes. So it's not just about coming and knocking off a short story. It's not just, it's not, it could be. It could be if that's what um, somebody wants to do. And our, our idea is that both people who are aspiring to be writers as a profession and people who, who want to make sense of their world through writing as we both have that and everybody in between that that's that's what we want to be for me personally because of how i've used writing in the past for um work with clients who are healing from substance use disorder from eating disorder my own lostness in my life um i've i've used writing in the simplest possible way to help people own the value of their story which is really my definition of healing, is to recognize that whatever story you're telling about what you've lived, and especially the parts that you don't want to tell, mm-hmm. that those are the most, I don't, I don't even have a word for how important it is to own those. Because there, there is no way to live a life that is exciting and interesting and um, and not scary, just to put it in a way that I think speaks to everybody, because there we all have so much fear about the lives that we're living. And I've discovered from my own personal journey and from working with uh, several hundred clients by this point, that 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 fear comes from what we don't want to own. It comes from the parts of our stories that we have decided are shameful, or that they somehow mean something really bad about me and about what I'm worth in the world. And the truth is, we we can't be transformed into these, into the beings that um, we can be excited to be without also owning those parts of our story. So we for sure want that, as well as we'll have all the professional services for um, people who want to publish. We'll we'll have um, resources for them. We will assist them. My master's degree is actually also in English, and so we we can do the whole thing, which which we feel is one of the exciting things about us working together is our prior experiences give us a pretty broad range um, of support, we could say, for for everybody. Right, right. So um, as a business owner, I know that there are bills to pay. 
right? right? Like you need to keep the lights on for people. You need to provide, you know, cleaning services or whatever. You need to pay the rent. How are you guys going to bring money in? Yeah, well, we're we're in the developmental stage right now, so we're hoping to um, to launch in August of next year, twenty twenty two. So what we're what we're doing right now is, and thank you for having us because this is our first public discussion of the business and, oh, and our vision. <laughs> so we're very excited about that, and we're very passionate about having an ongoing conversation about what this can look like for everyone. We genuinely want to be um, not just a part of the community, but we want we want everyone to feel like we have them in mind, our local city, town, county. Um, and so that's why we're already talking about this. So even though we're in the developmental stages. So we have all of that to say that anything that we're seeing today probably will evolve over the next year. But to answer your question about finances, we are considering everything except debt. So we're thinking about um, who we know that we know would want to invest. We're thinking about crowdfunding. We are considering um, a membership um, model where people can subscribe uh, to Native South, even if they never come here. So they could subscribe and be you know, halfway around the world, and they can get a newsletter, and they can get the anthology that we're wanting to publish uh, that we will ask for submissions for from the local folks who come and write with us. So that will be part of their membership. Um, also, if they do, if they are in town or they want to come into town, it would mean that they get um, a percentage off of workshops, which we'll be offering on a regular basis. Um, we also hope to solicit donations um, to support what we want to be a community outreach because we want to take what we do, particularly the kind of writing that I just described, you know, not the aspiring to be a professional yet, but the kind that helps you own the value of your story. We want to take that kind of writing out into the community where people are who wouldn't normally maybe stumble across such an idea. So um, do you want to talk about the, the retail part and other yeah. things? So um, before I decided to go back to school, I was pretty much a retail specialist. <laughs> I have worked mm-hmm. in every kind of retail business you can imagine. Um, and I always loved the merchandising part and what made a business unique, um, but not so much the corporate aspect. So when we started thinking about retail, we will, of course, be carrying the greeting cards that this business kind of evolved out of. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, <laughs> I am a series of clothing with some really interesting quotes and authors from past lives. Um, We definitely plan on having our own kind of stationary sets. We're planning on doing um, kind of build your own gift baskets for writers in your life so that people can come in and purchase those and put them together. Um, We're a unique idea that I had was putting in a vending machine that had only writing supplies in it. So people came in, they came in from work, they didn't have anything with them. You know, they could put a couple of dollars or swipe their card in the vending machine and have a notebook and pen ready to go. So um, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And to keep the the overhead cost down, um, we're planning on doing a catalog based um, ordering system for customers. So we'll just have basic samples of everything that we have available and a catalog that they can order from as well as an online version of that as well. Very good. Sounds like you guys are putting a lot of thought into this and a lot of planning. You know, I think it's really smart to to start now um, and and shoot to open August 2022, August you said? Yeah, right, yeah, it's a little over a year. Mm-hmm. So what um, 
you guys talk a lot about your stories, or Kathy, at least you have owning your story, and I'm sure, right, being her daughter, <laughs> you <laughs> don't fall far from that tree. Um, how? T- tell me the story about how you you got here. What is um, what is important in your history that is that has led you to this point where you're kind of you're wanting to give back. You're wanting to share um, these things that you've learned in this way. Yeah, well, uh, on a big scale, um, we have this Appalachian heritage um, that I'm going to let Ray talk about because she's done much more research on that than I have. So I'll let her talk about that along with her personal story. Um, for, for me personally, um, my my childhood was spent in um, really blue collar, but that doesn't even really describe it. So pretend I didn't say that because that doesn't, <laughs> it's not really accurate. So my parents both came from big families um, on farms that, and they were really, really poor. And there wasn't a lot of education that happened, not a lot of resources available. But more than that, the way that they each learned to see themselves meant that they didn't, it wouldn't have occurred to them to ask for any resources or or that there might be something different, you know, for them to live, they certainly wouldn't have considered their story anything of, of value. Right. That could have helped them, you know, in the world or connected them with anything. Uh, so that's the, um, my parents were really young when I was born. And so there was just a lot of hard work and the feeling that nothing, that that wasn't really going to pay off. And also we owned this, uh, I own now this idea that we definitely didn't want to own then, but there's this notion of being like this Appalachian white trash, mm-hmm. which which means this whole mindset of seeing myself as not as worthy, not a word I would have used back then at all, right. but just seeing, I think I thought of myself as everybody else sort of got this knowledge about how to do life. And I felt like I didn't get it and that everybody knew that about me. Just by looking at you. Oh, I was certain of it. I was absolutely certain of it. So that was kind of my beginnings. And you can imagine um, feeling that way as I came into adolescence, that that train went wildly off the track pretty quick, (laughs) Uh, which led me to what I call my missing decade, which was my 20s, which is just all manner of really trying not to feel what I thought I was. Mm-hmm. And that's how I express it to clients these days, too. Mm-hmm. It's like everything that we did that we're most ashamed of was my desperate attempt to not feel what I thought I was. And so the feeling that I had in life, I thought that was because of who I am. And I thought that the traumatic and just the depressing things that happened to me were because of who I am. Right. So there was a point in fairly late in my life, I think, I mean, I would say it was late, like my mid-40s probably, when um, I, my life just blew up for the millionth time, and I just didn't have the energy to put that back together. I just... Oh. In, in the false way, like in this kind yes. of, yeah, with all of these def- defenses and all of these kind of things. And keep the things going. You yeah. know, I had the job I thought I wanted with the master's degree that I thought I wanted, with the marriage that I thought I wanted. The traveling, the house, the properties, the cars, the like the thing that white trash me aspired to. Right. Thinking that those things were gonna make me feel better about right. myself. Which of course they didn't. And so it all fell apart again. And I just finally said, you know, <laughs> there must be something that I'm missing, something else. I've been writing all through this 
whole story that I'm telling, right? From when I was a little kid. Um, in the when we lived in the in this trailer park, there was a a concrete slab that was our sidewalk out front, and I would bring all the kids from the trailer park around and make them sit. And I would take this soapstone that my father was a steel worker and he would bring home this soapstone chalk. And so I would write on the sidewalk and make them like pay attention to my lessons. (laughs) (laughs) So writing this whole time, you know, from like really bad melodramatic poetry to heartbreaking (laughs) journals and like been in and out of love 10,000 times and died every single time, you know, Mm -hmm. so we're like all that. Um, But when this happened, which was around 07, 08, I guess, um, yeah, I took my writing and my very broken self and out of the world. I just stepped out and inspired somewhat by Eckhart Tolle <laughs> sitting on that park bench mm-hmm. for three years. But also, I, I didn't feel like I had a choice. It just, I didn't know what else to do. So after about four years of writing and questioning and writing and questioning and hiking thousands of miles a year, probably, and interacting very sparingly with people in general, um, I started to come to some clarity about about what our real worth is and how possible it is to just recognize that. And all we need to do to do that is to redeem, put that in quotation marks, redeem as in give its value back our whole story, like see it for the value that it is and own that each one of us is a once ever expression of life. And you don't have to have a spiritual or religious idea for that to make sense to you. And it's not my opinion. You can totally see that that is the truth. That's just what's true. Right. That we are each an individual. We are each unique. Yes. And even more than that, that life has never been lived from this perspective, you, before, and it will never again. You're it. Even if there are a billion parallel universes, it's still not you because those experiences are somewhere else and and they're being somewhere else. And this is the only, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's powerful. I'm (laughs) tearing up as you're saying it. Yeah. I mean, it is so... So through your own work, you've kind of developed a, a, a treatment, kind of a way to work with, yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned clients. Yes. So you have people who you are helping individually yeah. along their own journey. I am. I have um, about 24 clients right now. And prior to COVID, I was doing the exact same thing at a treatment center for about just over seven years. So I have a lot of evidence that that it works. And it's as simple as I know this sounds like your listeners may be going, what? Like, what is that going to do? But I, I think they just heard you kind of testify to the power of just seeing what's true about you. So that as the basis, if that's true about you, now let's look back through your story and see if there's anything that could change that. And I, what I've found so far is no. That there's nothing in my past or nothing in anybody's past that will negate their value. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so then that's the basis of what I do with clients. And so basically every week we just look at what they think is in conflict with that. And we look and see which one is true. It's that simple. 
not what I have thought was true, not what I feel is true. Not what other people told me was true. Definitely not, because those people were also seeing themselves in a way that didn't own their worth. Right. So we just pass it around. And that's, um, yeah, that's what I know that writing can do. And it doesn't matter what the writer, the person who's writing, thinks they're doing. I know that that can happen. I watched clients who were just barely sober in a writing group with me. I would give them 10 minutes and ask them to please not pick their pen up. And I would give them the most benign, neutral, meaningless prompt. And I would say, you have 10 minutes, ready, set, go. And I don't think there was ever a day that half of them were in tears about what came out of that 10-minute writing that meant to them that what I was pointing to about their value was true. So it's not even it's not something that I do that makes that happen, which is the best news ever. It's just it's just that it's the truth there waiting for us to see it. It's just here. It's, well, I mean, I think you're selling yourself short because what you do do is create <laughs> a very safe space for them and you hear them and you validate them and you love them, sounds like. Oh my God, there's just no word for that. They're like love is like the smallest yeah. Yeah. thing, right? It's like, because I am experiencing and with you and Ray in this room right now and every day that I'm sitting looking at a screen, I'm not even with them personally right. anymore, right? Um, but what I'm experiencing is the worth that I just described to you that you have. So for me, there's no you and then that worth that you may or may not see. For me, there's just that that worth is here. Right. And that's way bigger than what we think of as love. But so, yeah, yes. that is, yes. that's it. So that's extremely powerful. And I can understand why you're wanting to well, – I mean, it almost feels like a um, – like this is your calling, like this is, you know, who you are and, and to see the um, impact you have on, on new, numerous, tons of people. Um, what aspect of that will be in Native South? I mean, it's, it's intense. I mean, I can, I mean, I'm like envisioning these groups of crying people and you know as they're writing but i know that's not that's not the goal i mean this isn't becoming to become your therapy space but clearly that's a part of why you're doing it that the writing has been so powerful for you personally and you personally ray um and also in this work you've created um so what how what aspect of that do you see in native south well, I, I think that um, for people who want that, see, here's the thing, like folks who were coming to the treatment center, just trying to get sober, like they didn't ask for me to do that. No, it was just an encounter that they had. And then they were free to do with that what they will. So no, I, I mean, I'm imagining that when we do some community groups, that we'll do something like that, that's an invitation to that, but not everybody in the room every day wants to, right, which is you know, perfectly fine. Um, I think though, to answer your question kind of from a broader place, like the, the reason that I wanted Ray to stay focused on her writing is because I've watched it transform, transform her life experience. And of course I want that for her. Absolutely. And, and both of us are that. So if I never said a word about it or never even did that kind of writing group, 
the way that I see people and experience them, it is that, you know, so I don't really have to talk about it. I might depends on who the person is and what the situation is. But, um, do you want to talk a little bit about, um, the writing that you did about your dad when we were in the writing group and what you saw that do in the group? Oh, um, yeah. Sure, uh, dive right in, right? Right in the middle of it all. <laughs> um, the, okay, so this piece initially had started out as just an assignment, an assignment for a class. Um, and I had just intended for it to be almost kind of a, just a light touching on what actually had happened. And it wasn't enough. Like, it, and I, I had like initial drafts of it that people read. It just, it wasn't exactly what I had wanted. They were questioning what I was meaning about my feelings for him and and what had happened. And um, so I I went back to the beginning and I tore it apart and I spent hours uh, on this one piece alone in a room, just myself. Um, And it turned into something beyond me because when I shared it with our summer writing group that we put on right after covid happened. We couldn't be together in person. So we started a, an online writing group and I shared it with all of these women and it, <laughs> it exploded. Like it, it was so much more than just me because it was feelings that so many of those women had had mm-hmm. maybe in regards to their own father, maybe, you know, something else. Um, and it was insane to me that something that I had written just for me could radiate out into helping other women come to terms with their own traumas as people would call them in the mainstream, but experiences that molded their lives. Um, And realizing that those experiences didn't define me. So Mm -hmm. in turn, watching them realize that their experiences didn't define them either. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, that it was probably one of the most powerful writing moments that I had. So, so it was it sounds like the process of writing it itself was powerful, but then the process of sharing it was even more powerful. It, sharing I it never having, imagined yeah. that it would have that effect on someone else because I thought in this moment I had I was still kind of on my path where I thought that I was doing this just for me. Yeah. Um, but then watching something that I had done just for me become something that helped other women do something just for them to work through those same kinds of experiences was overwhelming. Right. So, (laughs) so it's the, the kind of, um, dual validation, right? So, so, so you take a huge risk and put this out there. I mean, that's, I don't, I obviously haven't read the paper, but I imagine it was terrifying for you to put this out kind of into the world. Yeah. yeah. It was it was a story that was about 25 years in the making. Yeah. It had taken me my entire life to get to a point where I was okay talking about it first because that was the most important part. But then putting it down on paper and then allowing other people to see what I had felt right. was completely different. <laughs> it wasn't just an isolated moment, like me writing in my journal about it, which I had done a million times before that, right. poetry, all of those things. Um, but getting to have that shared experience and realizing that I wasn't the only one mm-hmm. 
and also watching them realize that they weren't the only one. Right. Was, so that power of connection yeah. around this, like the, the vulnerability and then the acceptance and the validation that you are not alone. We all feel this stuff right. at some point. Um, that's what's powerful. And that's what's, you know, it sounds like you two kind of came to the same place in very different ways through the writing, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that it, this, what this writing allows is a really deep connection and a really deep, um, understanding of other humans beings. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. And in your life, I mean, how, how wonderful that you guys both found that. You know, and then then the the push to share it is huge. So I'm I'm excited about that. Do you want to tell more about your story and how you um, kind of came to this sure. place? Yep. So um, I I was writing from a very early age as well, and I have an aunt on my paternal side of the family that has been writing for her entire life, and for a long time it felt like it was kind of in my genetics to be a writer. Um, so a lot of times that caused some frustrations for me because I wasn't producing things that meant anything, obviously, because I wasn't ready um, right. to be in that very vulnerable space. But um, I think we added it up in our collective writing years are like 70 plus <laughs> that we've been yeah. writing. Um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of years. It is, especially to look at it on paper. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. think about all of these years that we spent well before we knew what writing was going to end up meaning, but just trying to make sense of life and the the really terrible emo poems of my teenage years <laughs> and the short stories that meant nothing. And um, even at a while back, mom found um, a folder that had some writing in it that I had done at like maybe a seven-year-old level, which was really interesting to see. Um, but I, I story started for me very early. Like I, I got to a point where when I was taught to read, I was reading my own bedtime stories. I was reading them to myself. Wait, you wrote the stories and then you no, read no, them. Okay. No, no, these were books that people had written, thankfully, because I was not a very good writer as a child. <laughs> that would have been a really quick bedtime story. <laughs> but um, it started with me really like taking in the words and memorizing them because I can remember knowing a Dr. Seuss book just by the, the illustrations on the page. So, um, but words, words meant everything to me from a very early age. And, and I spent probably, I would say over a decade struggling with anxiety and depression and wondering why I was here, what the point was, um, what I was contributing to society, because that's something we're made to feel like we need to be doing all the time. Um, and, I wrote through all of that, but I wasn't writing myself out of it. I was writing myself further into it mm. uh, because I hadn't done the work. So so say a little more about that. So, it, I mean, it's pages and pages of journals, you know, talking about being sad, talking about feeling, you know, kind of hopeless, but I wasn't doing anything to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though I was writing, it wasn't helping me out of that situation at all. And I mean, it was, you know, when, when I was growing up, she was a very different woman than she is today. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That is is true. That's very true. But at the core of everything, I still knew that she was a writer and Mm -hmm. that she was brilliant because she's my mother and she had to be brilliant. But um, I think a a place that made me really start to wonder what was happening um, 
was just seeing how her life had changed and wanting that for myself, but having to come to it in very different ways because I was very resistant to taking anything from her because she was my mom. <laughs> like I had yes. seen her do all of this work with other people and it was really great and they really loved her. And I, I thought that was excellent, but I wasn't in a place where I was anywhere ready to take any of that for myself. I thought no. that I was doing just fine. <laughs> right. But Certainly didn't need help from mom. I didn't need I know help that. from anyone for a long time. I was very stubborn and very proud. And I think that, that comes from Appalachia. Like even when we think that we don't have anything to be proud of, we still put up that, mm -hmm. that sense that of pride. That kind of pseudo mm -hmm. pride. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, my, my raising differed from hers quite a bit because she was the first person in our family to have higher education. Um, and I was in the midst of that moving, you know, to Tennessee when she did her master's degree and moving to Virginia beach when my stepdad did his, um, I was growing up in a house where people were getting education. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I thought that I needed to do that, but then I didn't, I messed that all up <laughs> in my head. I thought I did anyway. I went a very different path. Mm -hmm. So I went the have a life, get a job, be a grown up immediately life, um, which didn't leave much time for writing. And I was obviously never happy. So later in my life, which by later, I mean, like about six years ago, mm -hmm. when I hit my 30s, I realized that I really needed to get out of the funk that I had been in for so many years. And but I, I still had that resistance. And we talked about this a lot. I thought that I would um, I was attending CBCC. I thought that I, I could see no way for me possibly to attend a four-year college. Um, but then I did that. <laughs> you did. So you did. that that fear that we feel about sharing our stories, that same fear that I felt about attending a, a, a university, a four-year level that I didn't know if I was going to be able to do, um, all of that is is similar and it's all doing nothing but holding us back. So mm -hmm. I think – after I got over some of the hurdles that I thought I would never see myself doing, I turned back to my writing because I felt like I could actually be genuine at that point. I could talk about the things that had held me back. I could talk about the struggles um, without feeling ashamed of them anymore because they got me to the place where I was at. Mm -hmm. So I had nothing to be ashamed of. It was just thankful for the path that I had traveled, for all of the stories that it gave me and... I think that's the most valuable recognition we can have as people that our stories don't necessarily define us, but they do make us who we are. Right. Yeah. So, so as you were, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I got a very um, edited version of your story in that, <laughs> um, and because you, like, I, you know, you kind of glossed over. Yeah, I didn't think I could do four year college, but then I did. You know, and that 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 transition from not believing in yourself to actually taking the step to do it. That's significant. And I'm sure it was hard and a lot of work for you. Um, and those are, and I'm sure that was just one of the kind of fears you had to push through, challenge, figure out where it was coming from. Mm -hmm. um, you know, why is that? You know, what do you believe about yourself that makes that something that's really scary for you? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that was the most recent. That's why I, I mentioned that one, um, because it's fresh. Like, 
that was three years ago that I thought I couldn't do this. Yeah. So, I mean, on the grand scale, like that's three years is nothing. Yeah. But I also think that's a, that's an important point because what you're saying, like we're, we're constantly evolving, right? We're constantly coming up again, no matter how old we are, no matter what we've accomplished, you know, there's always these kind of things where like, oh God, I can't do that. Or yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> Peace out. But then, but then to really think about why we're backing it, why, what is it that we're, that stops us from doing that? I see it myself every day, you know, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not interested in that. Mm-hmm. You know, if I really sat back and like, well, that kind of would be fun. Why am I not, why am I so quick to dismiss it? And it, it comes from fear. Uh, yeah. And just, it's just going to be uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, the fear of failure, fear of failure, feel of being seen as a fit, you know, not a failure, but seeing like as stupid or, you know, like putting yourself out there, like mm-hmm. taking a risk. And that, that is something, you know, I think when you do the work that you women are talking about and you're doing and you're helping other people do those things become less daunting. You know, or, and then you can make a choice like, yeah, you know, I could do it, but I'm choosing not to. And then that's, that's a choice an active choice you're making as opposed to just shutting that door because you're afraid of doing it. Right. Right. I think the biggest um, factor in what you're describing there is, do I think that succeeding or failing means something about me and my worth? Because what I have come to discover is that it never does. It doesn't mean anything about you. It's just an experience that you're having. And it can be whatever it is if you don't think that it's saying broadcasting something about you to the world. Right. If you don't assign that meaning to it, it doesn't have meaning. It doesn't. Oh, my gosh, Kathy. You're like making me rethink everything. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, it's like we live our lives like, okay, this is going to make me successful or I'm going to feel better when I accomplish this or, you know, when I have this much money or we get this house or whatever. And, yeah, when you put it in those terms, like it's – I am – and and, we're attaching meaning to it for a reason, right? That's what society tells us Mm. in some levels. Well – I say to people all the time, you know that society's us, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this, this is, is what, what you like. live with. <laughs> this is what it's like being her daughter. Trying, yeah. trying to like rationalize things out loud and using all of these words that I've come to realize are nothing until I make them so. And, and she always has the, but but why? Why is that a thing? A- like... <laughs> So yeah, this is this is life with her. This it's a constant realization of I did this. Like this was I built this boogeyman. I made him ten feet tall. Yes, and I can talk him back down too, which is the coolest part. But the the realizing that words only have the meaning that we give to them is how the greeting card business started, which is important because without that, Native South never would have evolved. Right. Because it started there. It started with redefining words, sometimes in really funny ways that would make people laugh on a greeting card, but also in really meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. Like, I think one of our most, um, and the first, I think, was redefining the word parent. Right. I'm um, still using that one with my clients. I, I want to say, though, before you, and you could tell them what my definition is, but it's not just that I made up a different definition. It was that I, I defined it in a way that is objectively true, and that's all. 
not adding anything to that. Right. So it's the stuff we add to what's subjectively true that creates this wild story that makes us scared, really, just to put it most simply. That's the only thing that it does is it just creates a lot of fear. So I think it was the first one that I did, and I still use it with my clients all the time. It's really powerful. And so go ahead and say, what is the definition of a parent? So parent is it's it's just a person that had sex. It's just a person that had sex and created a child that didn't change anything about them inherently. It didn't give them some wealth of knowledge suddenly that, you know, they were responsible for another life. So now they know all of these things. They're still just the same person that they were before they created another person. So they're still dealing with all of their own stories, their own struggles, their own um, issues, seeing their own worth. Becoming a parent doesn't change the fact that you're just a person. So, and I, <laughs> I still struggle with that one sometimes because she's my mom. Um, of course, I know how I was made. I understand <laughs> at the at the base level that right. that's exactly who she is. Um, but letting go of that with my father was a huge deal for me. Um, so realizing that he was this whole person before I was made, and he had all of his own struggles, which most of which I really wasn't aware of or didn't want to be aware of while right. he was still living. So um, coming to that realization with him, like all of those expectations that I had for him just fell away because how can you reasonably expect a person to live up to these standards that you've created for them in your own head? Just like yourself, how can you expect yourself to live up to these weird outlandish standards that you're holding yourself to that really mean nothing about who you are? Yeah. So my first inclination was to argue that, that a parent is more than <laughs> someone who just had I sex, right? did that for a long time. <laughs> did it for a long time. Right? Because because of all the meaning we attach to what a parent is supposed to be. And, right. and, and, and the reality of being a parent and knowing how that experience changes. I mean, well, you're like, still just a person having experiences, right? right. You're just having the experience of learning what a parent is rather than having some standard, some mythology in our heads about what a mother is or about what a father is that not one human being has ever had. Right. Right. And so, and so, yeah, I mean, as you're talking in the back of my head, I'm thinking like what I brought to parenthood, right. was all of the expectations of, you know, what, I thought my mom should be what I, what yes. my, you know, like all of those things came into that. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is that like, you need to peel that away. And it's just made up. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. If you, if you really spend any time looking at everything other than the person you were who procreated and had your children, you're still that person. You're just a person having that experience of having children. And that in no way necessitates the rest of the nonsense that's been piled on top of that word. And I, when I said to Rady the other day, it was a, a moment where I felt her doing that. And, and I said, you know, um, you're, you're depriving yourself of what I'm pointing to because you're looking at me right now as your mom. And she goes, well, you are my mom. And I said, if you want to think so. And she goes, oh, brother. <laughs> Still happens. Still happens. I know. What does that mean if you want to think so? 
<laughs> what I meant was that her history with me as a mother, who was certainly not the person that I am now, but her history with me as a mother sometimes, like, as she described, makes her push back against a truth that could be really helpful to her. She'll go away and do it on her own anyway. Yeah. Um, she's been doing that since she got here, you know, <laughs> since she was born. She's been doing that, um, which is perfect. Right. Um, but but that's, that's all I mean is that when you – so if you're looking at me and you have a history with me in which I sometimes met your expectations and sometimes brutally disappointed them – that's going to make you hear what I say in a very particular way. Yes. And and you don't have to keep that screen is all that I mean. Right. Right. You that can, if you could, but you don't have to. Right. Right. And yeah, it, it's a tough screen to keep up. It's you exhausting. know, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's exhausting. It's a tough, but it's a tough screen to keep up. And it's also a tough screen to let down, right? Because mm-hmm. we think it protects us. We do. And we think it's just, we think it's true. Yes. We think it's just objectively true. And then, oh my gosh, it's so surprising. It's right. not. Right. Just not. So this is an, like the, the process that you two have gone through, you know, to, to get to where you are Yeah, is a kind of a wonderful, rich story within itself, you know, and, and having a mom who has had this kind of transformation and is, you know, very wise and very <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like being with like a superhero for a mom because all of these people see her as all of these different things i'm like i mean she's my mom mm-hmm. but also i mean once you see how people interact with her at this kind of level it's i mean you can it's undeniable um but it's also like she says it's nothing that she does. And the evidence of that that I have is when she was still in Asheville, um, we went up to visit her, uh, my fiance and I, and we were walking through downtown Asheville. And this homeless gentleman just was initiating an interaction with her, just a, just a normal interaction on the street. Um, and instead of the money or whatever that they would be asking for, they kind of exchanged an embrace and when he pulled away he was in tears not from her saying anything but just from having that feeling that the person in front of you is just open to the experience that you're needing to have in that moment and seeing him right i mean i think that's part of just what's so hard for homeless people is that they're invisible to many people so yeah what you gave just that gift right i mean yeah gift of being seen and being validated and being loved it, it seems like that from the outside but my experience of that is that um that that's not a thing that i can give it's it's a natural effect of how i see him which is not different from how i see you or me because we're going back to that what i once you really get that what i'm saying about worth is just objectively true you know, that you're the only expression of life that will ever be you, like mm-hmm. never before, never again. Imagine knowing that about everybody you see. Right. Like, I don't have a choice about how that feels. I mean, you can feel it. Right. Just talking about it. And yeah, so when people say that I give something, I'm not trying to be humble by saying I'm not. I'm just saying my experience is that there's no giving going on here. Right. 
Right. It's just a recognition of what's true. And this is what it feels like to live in what's true. That's all. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> very exciting. I would be I would be living in tears. Like I'd be living in like I'd be moved all the time. Like it's it's intense. Yeah, it's pretty beautiful. Yeah. Just right here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where are you on the spectrum here? I really don't know. I mean, I I take life just as it comes a day at a time. And if I'm offered an experience to move forward where I'm at um, with myself, then I take it. I mean, but it's not something I wake up expecting. I don't wake up expecting some kind of ultimate change for the day. But it comes in little tiny unexpected pockets. Mm-hmm. So I'm wherever I'm at in the moment and and I'm okay with that. I used to really not be okay with that. I always wanted to be somewhere else. I always wanted to be doing something else. I wanted it to be five years from now. I wanted it to be, right. you know, somewhere, someplace, sometime that's different. Um, and now it's it's more of, I just want to experience whatever's going to happen that day. And if it turns into something, that's great. And if it doesn't, that's great too. Mm -hmm. But with myself, I mean, it's just when I'm given the opportunity to see something about myself, I take it. So I really don't, I don't, I couldn't tell you where I'm at on the spectrum. Right. Right. So um, there, there's, I don't really even know how to make this transition, but there's this, the kind of writing that you're talking about that um, owns who we are, um, sees the value within ourselves and the worth within ourselves um, is, is intense work. I mean, that's intense work for a lot of people. <laughs> for me, I mean, you're like, <laughs> like yeah, no, it's just life. It's just the way it is. But for, well, I will just say that it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not scary when you're the one just experiencing that, like the few moments that you've had just sitting here, seeing what I, the words that I'm pointing at, right? Like right. that feeling that you have. Yes. It's so lovely. And it's yes. such a relief from the way that we're walking around most of the time. So it doesn't feel like it's not the same as having a, an hour long session about the worst trauma in your life. It's right. not like that. No, no, no. And so and it's, there's not the same trepidation or or emotional vulnerability it's it's different yeah so i just wanted to make that distinction no i think that's important thank you um but my i think what i'm trying to kind of think about is there's that kind of writing Mm -hmm. and then there's you know what other people call kind of just creative writing just kind of um creating a story that doesn't really Necessary. I mean, it obviously pulls from something within them, but it's mm-hmm. not the kind of work that they are doing. So, um, which also has value. Oh yes, absolutely. We so, both are those kind of writers too. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we are. <laughs> um, so it, it has right. So the the being creative, being having a creative outlet, whether it's painting or baking or you know or writing. I think there are a lot of people who use writing to to do that just to create something to feel like they are um 
pulling on that part of their brain that they don't necessarily use all the time. I mean, that's kind of in, in my day to day, like I'm doing a lot of problem solving and a lot of, you know, interacting with people and figuring out inventories and, you know, scheduling and that kind of thing. So it uses one part of my brain. Right. Um, and then I, and then I really want, and that's a part of the brain that's dominant for me. That, that, that stuff's easy for me. Sitting down and finding a space to be creative, turn that stuff off, um, is hard. And it, you know, it's like, it takes some effort. Like I have to find a space and if I don't really find a space and I don't really have to do it, you know, but I know, but I, when, when I do it, I love it. Um, so, which is what's so exciting for me. One of the, one of the many pieces that's exciting for me about native South is that that's just going to be there. Yes. <laughs> <You know? Yay. laughs> like walking by, I can stop in for 15 minutes. I can stop in for an hour. I can, you know, grab a cup of coffee and come in. I can um, talk with you guys about, you know, what I'm writing or what I'm thinking. Yes. And so, so talk to me about what that creative piece, what you see that creative piece does for yourselves or for people, or why is that important? Well, I think you, you said a lot of that because in your day to day, you're busy. You're doing the autopilot stuff. You're doing the running a business part or the being a parent part or, you know, the whatever job that you have probably exhausts you by the end of the day. But we're hoping that all of that can kind of just melt away when you walk in. It can be a space where you can just take a little bit of time for yourself um, and exist in that creative space. And whether you write while you're there or not, you were mm -hmm. there. You were feeling whatever you needed to be feeling. You were experiencing everything else that was going on around you, other writing, conversations that might have sparked an interest in you to go home and write a story or to just, you know, maybe wander off in a corner of the shop and write. Mm -hmm. um, but it, <laughs> we're hoping that it will be a space where people can just let all of the hustle and bustle of life mm -hmm. kind of just melt away. And you can be that creative person which you always are anyway. Right, we are creative beings. <laughs> Even no though way. we shut it off a lot. Yeah. So, yes. but we're I mean, as far as the creative outlet goes, writing obviously is going to be at the forefront, but we're going to do other things to spark creativity as well. Um I I have a program lined up in my head to have a design your own journal night where people can come in, buy something that looks like an ordinary notebook and when they walk out, it's something that is wholly them that they have created and they might not write anything in it that night, but they still have it and they get to take it with them. So basically it turns into native South being something that you come to, but then also something that you take out with you. So I, I, I would love for us to be a catalyst for creativity, even in your everyday life. Right. Right. So, so which leads me kind of full circle back to the question what is it about creativity that you see as important for, for people in general? What does it do for people? I think that's kind of personal. It depends on the person. For me, it gives me a space to process things I can't say out loud sometimes, mm -hmm. which I think is really valuable for anyone. Um, but it also gives people a way to see themselves as other than who they are, a parent or a secretary or a school bus driver. You can be anyone from any walk of life and you are a creative person because you have a story to tell. That's mm -hmm. creative. That's unique. It's different. 
because it's you instead of somebody else. Right. But you don't necessarily have to be an academic studying creative writing or someone who's going away to creative writing retreats. You can be anybody. Mm-hmm. And I think that's this, the most special part of Native South is that we are asking anyone to come. You don't have to define yourself as a writer necessarily to come and write with us. But it's surprising to get things out of that kind of writing because people who come to the page saying, I'm not a writer, are usually the ones that have the, best. the most exciting experiences with writing. Um, and that spreads outward to people that maybe write every day and they have gotten a little monotonous about it. Okay, wait, let me back you up. What? So those people who come and they say, I'm not a writer. And, and then clearly they write. So what do you, how do you understand that? What are they getting out of that? What are they, what have they then, once they create this thing, what are they feeling? Like what, it, what is, you need to, I would say the entire perception of who they are changes. So then you walked they in the feel- door saying you weren't a writer and then you wrote. So clearly you were. <laughs> what just, is wrong about you? I ask people that all the time. Is it possible that you're wrong about you? Could be, could be. It's very exciting. I think also I want to have this whole philosophical thing about this that um, I love thinking about. And it starts with a, a passage in John in the New Testament, like in the beginning was the word. Logos is the Greek word, right? It's a very alive kind of notion. Mm-hmm. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, meaning the word itself was the creator. And that is how I account for how people just turn on and like, it's like they come alive when they realize that they can write something down, that those things they put on the page is their voice, but it's something they've never seen of themselves before. It's, it is it is literally creating something new. And there's a book, I don't remember who wrote it, that I'm just starting called Sapiens. And there's a theory that the reason Homo sapiens became the dominant human species because there was more than us right you know for a while and there's a theory that the reason we came to dominate is because we could imagine a world that doesn't exist in words and that having a common mythology is so much more powerful than just having a common reality and i think that's the magic that happens when somebody says they can't write and then they do because i watched hundreds of non-writers um, come through the treatment center that I did writing groups with that created the most beautiful poems and short stories and all kinds of, uh, maybe no genre, but just pieces of writing that so astonished them that it came from them because it's literally something new about you. It's not That's not just an idea, but anything you write didn't exist before. Right. You did that. Right. So it's a sense of... Pride. So to kind of take what you're saying, it's like a new a, a new way to see yourself, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh my gosh, Absolutely. I didn't know I could do that, you know. <laughs> like, and I did it. But I, so this 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 pride and a new knowledge mm-hmm. about who they are and what they're capable of. It's a new power, really, mm-hmm. because just writing the one thing is not it's not over. Right, it just introduced you to the power that you have to do it. Which brings me back to your story, Ray, about um, the power of your words, mm. right? And and that was 
not only transformative to you, but transformative to other people. So, so yes, the, there's power in the words, but there's also the power when you release the words and, and share the words. Absolutely. Um, and the connection with other people and they're feeling safe with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that whole idea of someone telling me or you or themselves that they're not a writer, that's just another lie that they're telling themselves. Kind of like when I told myself I couldn't, couldn't go to college. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, you know, I never would have thought that this would have been my reality as a person who left high school and went directly into the workforce. I figured that that, you know, 40 to 60 hour a week grind that everyone did was going to be my inevitability. Right. I never would have seen past that to something like this at that point. But then I did. That's like the way that you um, had mentioned how I told that story about me going to UNCA. I didn't think that I would, but then I did. That's pretty much how it happened. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, obviously there are steps to get there in between, but once you're doing it, that's how it feels. Like I look back at that moment when I said, and I have a picture of us. That's one of my favorite pictures of us from the very day that I had this very obstinate conversation with her that I for sure knew I was never going to be able to figure out how I could go to UNCA, which is her alma mater. Um, She was super annoyed with me because I was doing the thing I do. Like, (laughs) that's just a story you're telling. Mm -hmm. Like, that has no power whatsoever. Um, We were at the bowling alley. (laughs) We were. She got (laughs) very upset. (laughs) (laughs) There were no thrown bowling balls. I don't know. No, I have my own ball, despite the fact not being a very good bowler. And I never would have wanted to break it by throwing it. (laughs) Noticed you didn't say she didn't want to throw it. It was about the bowling ball. That's right. (laughs) That initial frustration, that defensiveness that we put up when someone is telling us that what we're saying about ourselves isn't true. I mean, you've spent so many years like holding on to this little baby of doubt. And when someone tells you that it's not a real thing, your first instinct, like you said, was to argue. You (laughs) want to argue. Yes. Because it's like taking everything that you've ever known and just throwing it in the trash. But once you do that, things get so much easier. Yeah. Well, then lighter. there's a freedom to, to to build more, right? There's a freedom to, like, make – just, again, make decisions that are not defined by our fears. Absolutely. And the limitations we put on ourselves. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's the spirit with which Native South was born. And is it, and will be. I mean, it, that will just continue to evolve, you know, because what we each are and what we're living will continue to evolve, and so that entity that we're creating together will also. And everybody who talks to us about it will become part of that. Like you yes, today. Yes, thank you for that. <laughs> I'm so happy you guys are here. So, how can people? One, learn more about it, kind of when it's coming and all that stuff. Two, um, become a part of it. Three, donate to it. You know, I mean, there's there's lots of pieces that need to come together for this beautiful vision to become a reality. So what do you guys need and how can this and whatever audience we have help you? So I'm in the process of building our social media pages for the business. Um, because it's so new and we're still formulating ideas, 
it is currently under construction. Yeah. Um, I would probably say our first outlet is going to be Facebook because that is where we built our greeting card page. Mm-hmm. So I already have that outlet established. I'm just working on the business page. Um, but I mean, other than that, most most of our contact right now is going to be internet based because that's what we have. We don't have a physical space quite yet. Right. Um, but future things. Um, I mean, right now you could contact us through our Facebook page, Bright Ideas Greetings. Okay. Um, which is the initial card site. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is linked to our um, personal profile, which is Ray and Kathy. Um, but very soon, I would say probably within the next week or so, I will have the Facebook page for Native South up and running. So it'll just be Native South? Yep. Okay. It'll be also, we, um, if, you could have your producer maybe um, post our personal emails uh, below the um, wherever this yes. is, is yeah, going to yeah. be um, in the bio or whatever. Yes, to. yes, yeah. Um, we we're happy to hear from anybody uh, with ideas about anything, fundraising or volunteering or um, wanting us to do uh, workshopping in the community because we are very interested in for the next year in really getting to know people. And part of the way that we want to do that is we want to offer some pro bono workshops um, just to have people get to know who we are and what we're wanting to offer. So anybody who has ideas about where we could do that or you can do it at Incredible Edibles if you guys want to. That we can set lovely. that up. That would be so great. Okay. Yeah. We'll set that up. That'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we want uh, we want to keep the conversation going with as many people as possible while we're developing this because that's how ideas grow and are meaningful to everyone. So we would love to hear from anybody that wants to just say anything in response to today or just where the idea went for them. Okay. So um, right now it's what do you bright ideas greetings bright ideas it's uh the facebook greeting card line that we started on facebook yes okay um which is linked to our profile but you could probably search ray and kathy okay um and our personal page would pop up um but the and then native south yeah native south probably native south writing workshop because i want to make sure that that's associated so people know what they're searching yeah um but yeah okay all right yeah and and moose will put that information in the bio. <laughs> um, so just quickly, because I'm curious, where did Native South come from? That came from me um, through a class that I took. So I took an Appalachian literature class last semester at UNCA with the wonderful Dr. Erica Abrams Locklear. Um, and she had mentioned that an up-and-coming um kind of section of Appalachian literature was just being called Native South literature, Native Southern literature, um, which initially extended to Native American um, literature, which is a lot of our heritage. Um, It's Cherokee. And just, I mean, most of our family came from Appalachia, like back to seven or eight great grandfathers that I have. Um, we're in the Appalachian area of North Carolina, which around Asheville, Black Mountain, that area. Um, so for us, Native South means, you know, people who are here, maybe they weren't necessarily born here, but they're living here now and they're, you know, reaping the benefits of this kind of culture that we've created of, you know, the hospitality, of course, that comes with being Southern, but (laughs) that, I mean, 
kind of we've all grown up in this era of we're Southern, so maybe that means we matter a little bit less, mm-hmm. um, which we want to make sure isn't a thing that people are believing about themselves. So Native South is for Native Southerners of all walks of life right. from anywhere. Um, and also, while we're hoping to mainly target the, the local town and county um, and a couple of counties around us that don't have writing services or places for writers to go. Um, we also want to be a place where maybe the growing tourist industry in Hickory can pop in, see what natives are capable of. Ah, I love that. Um, and see <laughs> us as more than maybe like the small town rubes that we've been painted right. to be in in certain areas of the country or the world. But um, so yeah, Native South for us just means you consider yourself a, a native Southerner and you can be from anywhere. You can be anyone. Right. Right. We talked a lot when um, we were thinking about names, we talked a lot about kinship like and how to um, words that would embody that without excluding anyone. Yeah. Right. Which is really what we were after, you know, often won't even go, um, into the political realm right now, but I'll just say humans in general, we tend to want to um, indicate being inclusive, but at, at the cost of excluding someone. And we really didn't want that. And we want, we wanted it to be, I think we considered some names that involved kin, mm-hmm. um, but ultimately came, came around to uh, Native South because we love that whole idea of the South and what it's just people. Yeah. You know, living in a in an, a beautiful, incredible geographical location that really places a really important factor in our stories. It doesn't matter if we were born here or not born here. Well, I'm really looking forward to the whole process of the next year of you guys, you know, this evolving and then an opening. Hey, no, <laughs> we're very too. excited for that part I'm too. I'm sure. <laughs> I am sure. So thank you so, so much for coming in well, thank to you talk for having with us. me. Yeah, thank you. That was a beautiful conversation. You've been listening to The Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.